Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, we're winding down the year and we wanted to revisit some of our top episodes of 2022 and get your ideas about who we should talk to and what we should cover in 2023. I'm with the rest of the team to round up a few of our favorite shows. It's Thursday, December 22nd. I'm Morgan Moody and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. I'm here with lead producer Mallory Folk. Hello. Newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Hey, everyone. And audio producer Elizabeth Kama. Hi. We're rounding up a few of our favorite episodes from this year. It was hard to pick, but we could also use, you know, your help, our listeners' help. We want you to weigh in on the places we should go, the people we should talk to, and the Pittsburgh history you might want to dive into next year. Yeah, so we're going to have some specific asks for you throughout the episode, and you can uh, send in your submissions to Pittsburgh at citycast.fm. We will be reminding you of the address throughout the episode. Yep, land in our inbox. <laughs> Mallory, what are some of the the favorite places, things, people, Pittsburgh things, Pittsburgh history? All those things that you've covered uh, over the past year. Yeah. So the episode that immediately came to mind was our episode on Pittsburgh's city steps, the first form of public transit in Pittsburgh, as we learned. That was such a good one. Yeah. And props to Francesca. I think you're the one who uh, brought that to our attention. Of course. Laura Zorowski is pretty well known for her website missteps, um, you know, tracking our city steps and taking photographs. It's really beautiful work. Yeah, so uh, Morgan and I went out to Troy Hill uh, to meet up with Laura and walk one of her favorite sets of city steps. Get your workout in. Yeah, get your workout for the day. The thing that I loved about this is that city steps are one of those things that have just kind of like, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. They were always part of the landscape. They were always in the background. I've climbed some city steps (laughs) in my time, but I never really stopped to just think about like the origins and the history and why Pittsburgh has so many. You know, I learned we actually have the most in the world, more Mm -hmm. than 900 sets of public stairways. Wow. And so this was a great way to learn some Pittsburgh history. I really love this tour with Laura. She was so informed about the history of everything in Pittsburgh, why these steps were here. You're right. Just questions that like I never thought of that she had all the answers to. Yeah. And she was talking about how basically, you know, in the late 1800s, all of this industry popped up along the river and people needed a way to get from their homes up in the hills down to their mm. workplaces. You know, she t- she talked about how things like trolleys um, and horse-drawn carriages existed at the time, but those were expensive. They weren't accessible to everybody. And so she considers City Steps to be the first form of public transit because it really was available to 
everybody that was capable of walking <laughs> up and down some steps, which, you know. I guess if you're in the workforce, you yeah, know, during that time, yeah. <laughs> it's truly like a story of the working class, like, architecture. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to play a little clip. So this is after, you know, Laura was explaining that there was this specific period, late 1800s, when suddenly there were all these jobs that people needed the ability to get to uh, by the water. This is why, like, how over time, you know, it went from, uh, you know, maybe like a dozen uh, wooden stairs in Oakland and Southside Slopes that were leading to, like, the real heavy industries along along the Mon to where we are now, which is, like, over 900. And in just about every single neighborhood, these people had to have, in the 1800s, had to have been in such good shape. Their calves must have looked amazing going up and down these stairs everywhere there's often like you know even like 1800s but even like you know going up through the 1950s right of like okay working class people that lived within city limits you know they walked to work every day you know and then they were also working these really like physically demanding jobs Um, but even if you weren't a steel worker um, you know if you were say you know like 1920s you know woman who lived in Troy Hill who was working down at Heinz you know Heinz employed more than 50% of their working staff was female. And so, you know, you were going on the stairs all the time, whether you were going on them for work, right. uh, you were doing going to do your shopping, you know, doing your errands, going to your house of worship. So it's often one of these things that I think about, like the ancestors of Pittsburgh would laugh at us today of like, you know, when COVID hit and the gyms were closed and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to get out so out of shape because I can't go do my cardio stairmaster <laughs> at the gym or whatever it's like well no like you got all these city steps that are all around you and I'm like this is why you know it was a very different a very different kind of life back then she really is an expert and uh keep your eye out because she announced earlier this year that she is actually writing a book about Pittsburgh steps um she is writing it with Matt Jacob and Charles Sukup um and they are going to dive into the history they're going to map it out take photographs um really from the late 1800s to the 1950s they're going to like kind of highlight how this unique form of infrastructure was built and maintained and, uh, you know, take this opportunity also to plug that if you want to explore those stairs, but with somebody who is just a huge wealth of knowledge, Laura does offer step tours. Um, we'll drop a link in our show notes where you can find those. But, you know, I, I know I have some um, out of town family planning to visit early in the new year. And that's definitely something I'm going to um, set up is to take a tour with her. So if you're uh, still looking for a holiday gift, maybe that's a good route to <laughs> An go. Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gift a, gift a city steps tour. So now this is where you come in. Our first ask, Um, I mentioned that I love this episode because it kind of delves into the history of something that a lot of us take for granted, you know, something that's been part of the Pittsburgh landscape for my entire life that I see totally different now. And so if you really want to know the backstory of some Pittsburgh place or tradition, you're, you know, wondering, like, what's up with this thing that's unique to Pittsburgh? uh, Let us know what kind of backstory you'd like us to look into. You can write us again at uh, Pittsburgh at citycast.fm. I know personally, after our gift guide episode, I would really love to know the backstory of the Titty Sphinx. So maybe that's one we'll tackle in the new year. (laughs) Oh my gosh, put that in your back pocket. I love it. (laughs) So kind of on the same note, one of my favorite episodes from this past year also has to do with Pittsburgh history. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I think 
you know, restoring and recognizing historic places and people is some of the coolest work here. And we are so lucky to have such a storied past that we can learn from and appreciate here in our city. And that's why one of my favorite moments from this past year was when I got to interview Marianne Lien. She's the president of the Pittsburgh chapter of the Organization of Chinese Americans. Um, I talked to her when Pittsburgh's Chinatown finally got its historical marker. Mm-hmm. It was a long time coming. It took them 12 years and four mm. appeals to the state to finally get this much deserved recognition. Okay, so I was not with the team at this time. Um, so I'm people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for people who may not know, where is or was Pittsburgh's Chinatown? Yeah, in the late 1800s, it was sort of this bustling city within a few square blocks of downtown between Grant Street, 2nd and 3rd Avenues, and Ross Street. That was until it was devastated by the construction of the Boulevard of the Allies Mm. in the 1920s. That forced residents to really leave the only place in Pittsburgh they felt at home. Um, And the last remaining business of Pittsburgh's original Chinatown is the restaurant Chinatown Inn on 3rd Avenue. Now, every time I drive down Boulevard of the Allies, I just think about, you know, what used to be there and the cost of uh, creating that, that roadway that so many of us rely on now. Right. Leanne explained just how important this community was for Chinese Pittsburghers at that time and really Asian folks throughout the region. If you don't have the documents, right, that are necessary to exist in in the world, it's a very scary space. And Chinatown right. afforded that kind of comfort to those who may not speak the language English, you know, well, let alone navigate, you know, um, the rules and regulations. Um, And it was doing so well. At one point, it is attracting the Chinese from, and, you know, other Asian folks, right, from West Virginia, from Ohio, right, Right. you know, and so, so this is the kind of international flavor that that this Chinatown had brought Right. And that speaks to, you know, how this is so historically relevant. And there were sort of these unofficial mayors Mm. um, and these uh, community like um, societies who helped people sort of navigate uh, the rest of Pittsburgh. So um, they would help, you know, people deal with their taxes or, you know, maybe go to a doctor's appointment if they didn't speak English. Um, What can you tell us about these unofficial mayors um, that existed in these communities? Oh, my gosh. You know, I would say they, you know, we called them mayors, um, but really they were like the diplomats, right, of of the time, right? You know, um, so Chinatown, like the rest of the Chinatowns across the world at the time, it really functioned as a in a parallel universe, right? Um, hmm. The Chinese that lived there, worked there, weren't welcomed in any other parts of the city. And so they had no choice but to carve out another existence. I can't believe it took them so long to be recognized, but I'm so happy they did get it. Um, I just remember one thing that Marion said. Um, she said, only if you choose to see it, it's here. And I thought that was like really powerful considering that it can be easily, you know, brushed aside. But if you really choose to see the history and the culture and appreciate it, it's here mm-hmm. and we can celebrate it. Definitely. 
So if there is a Pittsburgh history story that you'd like us to dig into next, let us know. We'd love to filter through the archives for you. Uh, send it to Pittsburgh at citycast.fm. Yeah, we're like Google, but better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will everyone else there be playful be imaginative explore your magical realm because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress you must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum its art its education and all of its community outreach initiatives get your tickets now to the 25th mattress factory garden party they are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. Well, from Pittsburgh history to your browser history, um, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes was uh, talking internet safety with ASMR artist Lily Whispers. Um, I just thought this was such a cool thing. I, I met Lily uh, maybe like two summers ago. Mm. At a party downtown, and uh, I had a friend like <laughs> whisper to me that she was this really <laughs> popular ASM artist. Um, and I am a person who, I you know, I've I've been watching ASMR for a, a really long time, an embarrassingly long time. Um, Nothing's and, embarrassing. Or you got in on the ground floor of something <laughs> that became super yeah. trendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I really, I really, I I don't know how I stumbled upon this little part of the internet. Um, but I was in there pretty early. And so was Lily. She's been doing this for such a long time, um, like almost close to like seven or eight years, I think she said. And to our listeners who maybe didn't catch this episode and aren't in the know, um, ASMR is that art form where you're whispering into the microphone or tapping things, creating these like tingly sensations and um, sensations of pleasure. And relaxation. Yeah, yeah. Liliana D, a.k.a. Lily Whispers, she took the conversation to a very real place talking about how, you know, having this very public persona has impacted her cybersecurity mm. and the steps that she's had to take to protect not only herself, but people in this community. Mm -hmm. You also work in um, cybersecurity. So how do those two very different things, though, kind of marry together? So last year, I was noticing um, a little bit of strange behavior in the comment section of ASMR videos. And I like to keep my, you know, personal life as personal as I can, you know, given that I have an online internet presence. Um, and so sometimes I've talked about, you know, my work and things like that, but I've never really integrated the two um, until I found out about what fetish mining is which is where people solicit content by certain creators. You could be a Poshmark boutique owner. Mm -hmm. You could be um, just anybody on the internet. They try to get images from you uh, to fulfill their fetish. And I 
fell down another rabbit hole of fetish mining. And so I was realizing that a lot of people in the ASMR community and a lot of my viewers don't really have a strong security, cybersecurity posture. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I really didn't talk about my cybersecurity, um, you know, background or anything like that until this um, fetish mining was just running rampant um, in the community. And so I filmed a video kind of exposing it and then also doing a, you know, um, information security or um, cybersecurity safety tips, internet safety tips for um, that are easily digestible for my viewers of any age. Yeah, I was not with the pod at this time, but I remember listening to this episode and being like, oh my God, that's something that I had never thought about before. Mm. And that's such a thing that like, you know, being an internet personality, you really have to pay attention to and it's so important. And the thing is like, you know, when ASMR started, it's kind of different time on the internet. I don't, there still weren't like a lot of kids mm-hmm. on social media platforms. Now there's a lot of- That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of kids making ASMR content. And um, so it was, you know, a really necessary thing, I guess, for her to like really kind of call this out. And, uh, yeah, kind of create a safe space for people in the ASMR community to report any really weird activity like that. It was in the episode she talked about how people were asking, you know, other artists to read a book but with certain nail polish colors Mm. or, yeah, just really weird requests. So since that point, Liliana has transitioned a lot of her content. She still does a lot on YouTube, but she's kind of moved it to Spotify Mm -hmm. to keep the tingles going, you know, (laughs) but um, it's just audio. So it kind of helps protect her identity and her security like a little bit more. Um, But I love doing this episode because, like I said, I've been an ASMR junkie for the better part of a decade. And so this is our ask. If there's like a little, you know, niche community that you're a part of here in Pittsburgh, a little obscure, you know, we, we like that and we want to know. So send it to us at Pittsburgh at CityCast.fm. Speaking of niche communities, although I'm not quite sure how niche it could be considered nowadays, my favorite episode is actually from our tattoo series. Um, it was Meet the Pittsburgh Artist Covering Up Hate. Um, mm, that was a great a really one. good yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Definitely one of the tops. Yeah. I mean, our tattoo series, a lot of it um, was a lot about the injustices and biases in the tattoo industry with regards to sexual assault and racism. And so finding a story that really had this positive spin Mm. was incredible. And so for those of you who haven't listened, shame on you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Go back and listen. Um, It was this artist, Jessica Tella, who would basically offer, you know, free cover-ups to people who had, you know, gang-related white power, swastikas, anything really harmful or hateful tattooed on their body. And one of the most interesting things that they said in this interview, at least to like, at least what I thought was the most interesting was that like removing or covering up these tattoos, you know, it isn't just for, you know, me and you who like see them and are scared. It's actually for that person because it really impacts, you know, their life too. When you walk around with tattoos, you, you see them, they become a part of you, right? You know, just like the color of your skin is a part of your identity. Um, the symbols on you can get into your psyche a little bit. And I believe if you have something on you that speaks power, that speaks of change and keeps you on this like mental plane of like, I'm not always this, I am changing. Um, I think that's real, genuine, um, like secret power, you know, it's like unspoken power. We got a lot of really positive, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, feedback 
and and outreach about this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really loved this quote. This wasn't from the interview, but uh, this is on their Instagram. And they said, I believe and have seen people change. I've witnessed people learn from major mistakes and watched as the veil of ignorance fell from their eyes. It genuinely can happen, and I will hold the door open for you as you step into your new life. Like, how amazing is that? Yeah. Yeah, they had so much grace um, in regards to, you know, it's a really difficult process. Uh, and one of the things that was, like, the most gratifying about this episode was that after it was released, they had four new people coming to them asking them for cover-ups, or at least they put that on their Instagram story. And so it was lovely to know that, you know, our work really had an impact. That's awesome. So if you know someone who's doing really cool work in the city, you know, helping the community, let us know. We want to feature them. We want to talk to them. Um, email us at pittsburgh at citycast.fm. And we're so excited because our beloved lead producer, Megan Harris, wanted to share her favorite episode, too. She sent us this dispatch for maternity leave. Hey, team. I'm sorry this isn't live because I missed talking to y'all for real, but the CityCast Pittsburgh crew was kind enough to let me jump in here and add one of my favorites, too. So episodes with a bunch of voices take a lot more time to make on our end, but my favorites are always our field trips. There have been a bunch over the last year, uh, like the City Steps episode, of course, um, or when Mallory and Morgan tried kayaking for the first time, um, or when they took a lap around the infamous Buffalo Bill House in Periopolis from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, please, if you missed it, look up the photos we posted on Instagram. Y'all were so funny. But my favorite, maybe selfishly, is one where Morgan took me to her old stomping grounds. Back in August, I got to check off a lifelong wish off my bucket list when we went to Steelers training camp. The team has this cool, very old school deal with St. Vincent College in Latrobe, where for a few weeks every year before the preseason, the team practices on site and fans can come down all for free and watch them up close. Older players sometimes show up, like I've heard gobs of stories about Franco Harris, for example, coming to show his support. Franco passed away this week, just a couple days shy of the 50th anniversary of maybe the most iconic play in NFL history, the Immaculate Reception. Um, but he and others have always been a huge presence here for the younger generations. So when we were there, we talked to a bunch of fans. This is just a tiny snippet of the stuff we heard. Yeah, I think it's fun. It's like more of an experience than I thought it would be like coming in. I feel like if you're a football fan, then this would definitely be yeah. a good experience. I mean, the interaction with the players and everything, and, and not only that, to see the drills everybody, you know, the coaches are doing. Oh, it's awesome just to be able to jump in a car and drive up there. <laughs> a lot of people take this stuff for granted. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to come here and the way they put on the show and everything like that. So it's nice. But I feel like otherwise you're not going to really ever get to be like this close to them playing. Yeah. So. And it's free. Yeah. So like, why not? <laughs> so yeah, I was just blown away by the total family atmosphere, which was good, I think, because I literally had to take a knee on the field at one point. I was very pregnant and that many hours on my feet and going up and down those hills took a toll. Uh, Morgan, one of my favorite moments this year, to your credit, you dropped down beside me like it was completely normal that I had to sit down on the sidelines in the middle of an active NFL practice. I'm still so, so appreciative of that small kindness and 
it's just indicative of the kind of team that this is. I'm just so freaking proud of all that this crew has accomplished this year. Um, and by the way, your littlest listener, Remy James, wanted to say hello. I'll see y'all again in 2023. <laughs> Remy James is as cute as those oohs and all sound in our ears and we miss him and we miss Megan. Guys, we did so much great work this year. I'm so proud of us. Yeah, me too. And I'm really excited to, to see what we cover in the new year. And hopefully all of you send in your ideas so that you can hear us highlight your favorite niche community or dive into some history you've always wondered about on the pod. So we can't wait to see what kind of episodes you all suggest. So exciting. We hope you enjoyed that little trip down memory lane with us. We'll be off tomorrow and Monday, but we'll be back in your podcast feed on Tuesday, the 27th. A little more news before you go. As you heard our lead producer, Megan Harris, mention, our city has lost the legendary Hall of Fame running back, Franco Harris, this week. The Immaculate Reception remains arguably the most memorable, nonsensical play that anyone in Steeler Nation has ever seen. Franco made Pittsburgh believe in miracles. I mean, the man was practically a deity in this extraordinarily Catholic city. What other city can you go to where they have a statue dedicated to a football plate in the airport? He ran for more than 12,000 yards, won four Super Bowls, and was a part of the dynasty during the 70s that sparked our city's crazed love for black and gold, all while wearing the number 32. The Steelers plan to retire that number this weekend at a ceremony at halftime during the game against the Raiders. Franco died just two days before the 50th anniversary of the play that made him a household name in practically every Pittsburgh home. The timing of this is sudden, it's shocking. You know, Franco has been in our homes all week. You couldn't scroll on your phone, you couldn't check a paper, you couldn't turn on your TV or listen to the radio without hearing Franco or that play, uh, but hearing Franco making his rounds, his media rounds, ahead of everything on Saturday. I was talking to a friend who said they were at a housewarming party in Mount Washington and that Franco Harris was there. This was several years ago. And it's not that that was odd, but they said he kept introducing himself as Franco Harris to everyone, like anyone within a 100-mile radius wouldn't know who he is. Franco was the city's forever hero and friend. Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. Here's the miracle of all miracles. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes the voice of Megan Harris. We miss her. Uh, Mallory Falk, Francesca DeBecco, Elizabeth Kama, Noah Snyderman, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji. We'll be back on Tuesday with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. The Pittsburgh Pirate Parrot was selling cocaine. Pittsburgh Personified posted that the pirate Pittsburgh the Pirate Parrot was selling purveying, purveying <laughs> paraphernalia. <laughs> There's your Pittsburgh tongue twister. That's a good one.